Cider sources may not be suitable for some listeners. The show contains strong language, mature content, and graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. I need structure in my life. <laughs> also, that fucking book. I cannot put that book down. <laughs> and, oh, <clears throat> you were saying that the, the copy that you got is more about, like, his life later on? or Yeah, I only went through, like, the first couple of chapters, but it did. It, like, started talking about him once he was already an adult and a family man and that type of thing, where yours seemed to be more um, from start to finish. Okay. Because, yeah, like, the the one that I got, it's, I, I think it's a phenomenal fucking source. It's, it's fantastic. <sighs> All right, so let's kick this off. Hello, and welcome back to another installment of the Cite Your Sources podcast a show for those who enjoy mostly coherent conversations covering the details behind true crime, strange happenings, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, and all of the weird offbeat topics that haunt your mind when you're alone. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm your host, Charlie. And uh, <clears throat> this is a big one. Yeah. This is our first multi-leveled project. Multi-episode. Woo! Yeah, so... um we're going to be talking about a man named Richard Leonard Kuklinski. He was one of four children of Polish immigrants uh, Stanislaw or Stanley Kuklinski and New Jersey native Anna McNally. Uh, Richard was a troubled child, likely at least partially uh, the result of the severe. Uh, the, oh my God, <laughs> the severe abuse he endured uh, growing up. Richard would go on as an adult to commit a slew of crimes, including buying and selling stolen goods, running a burglary and car theft ring, narcotics stealing, arms dealing, and money laundering. He would earn the name the Iceman after authorities discovered a body that he had frozen in an attempt to disguise the time of death. But Richard's actual claim to fame would be the notorious murders he committed as he was quite fond of the various uses for cyanide to kill his targets. And Richard would eventually be nabbed during Operation Iceman in December of 1986. Um, <clears throat> one thing I want to touch on really quick, which we are definitely going to discuss in, in this series, the, uh, the frozen body that earned him the name the Iceman he kept that body for two years. And the only reason that they were, the coroner was able to dictate that the guy died much earlier than he was found was because after Richard put him out to thaw, um, it wasn't warm enough. And when they cut into the body, there was ice still built up well, in the cavity. Well, he was still frozen. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. And like this... It's just it's just going to be one murder after another. So a brief acknowledgement of our main sources for this series before getting started. Um, we'll be, we'll he be heavily referencing uh, two books for the bulk of information. Um, this first episode is from the book by Philip Carlo titled The Iceman, Confessions of a Mafia Contract Killer. And then the other book is by Anthony Bruno titled The Iceman, true story of a cold-blooded killer um, and will likely be referencing uh, heavily from that book in the other episodes. There are some other sources as well, um, including some snippets from interviews that Kuklinski did for an HBO documentary um, that I was able to find on YouTube. And per the usual, all of our sources can be found in the episode description below. Also, one last thing before we get started. Um, with this episode and the series overall, 
It contains some extremely graphic content and language, so we do advise uh, listen at your own discretion. Without further ado, <coughs> let's kick off our first multi-episode topic and take a look into the life of the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. His last name is fucking weird, too. Kuklinski. It's very it just, Polish. Yeah, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, so Richard was born to a family living in a low-income housing project on April 11th, 1935. Uh, Richard's life began rather violently. His father, who was a brakeman for the railroad, was an abusive alcoholic who frequently beat Richard severely. Um, the elder Kuklinski was so brutal in his beatings, actually, that he caused the death of Richard's older brother, Florian, when Richard was 10. Richard's father and mother hid the actual cause of Florian's death by telling authorities that the boy had fallen down the stairs. Yeah, and <clears throat> I do want to take a quick step back about that to like interject something that I, I think is going to truly highlight and expose the type of environment that Richard grew up in. Um, and it's a, it's funny because before recording, um, Charlie and I were talking about the, like the synopses that we give kind of makes us sound like serial killer apologists. Because <laughs> it's like, they, they, they grew up in a bad environment. It's like, <laughs> this is not the case, at least for me. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not defending their actions either, but I think that in order to get a very clear idea of, you know, the personality of someone and their motivations, I think it's good that we see what their childhoods were like and it's good to touch on those things right and 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 uh excellent netflix series is it on netflix mindhunter yes yeah like yeah. It, it it is significant to know the type of environment that these people came up in mm-hmm. um like psychology is a son of a bitch yeah so childhood trauma is uh, a son yeah. of a bitch yeah um I'm I'm just getting sad thinking about what we have to read through for this episode. I know. So, shortly after getting married, um, Anna came to realize that Stanley was an uh, it, it just he was a fucking monster. He liked to drink, and when he was drunk, he became short-tempered and mean, often beating his wife at the slightest provocation. And in regards to Florian, the Kuklinski's firstborn. Uh, Carlo writes in his book that Stanley was occasionally kind to Florian, but overall appeared indifferent about the child's existence in general. Um, Stanley was also, oh, I'm sorry, Stanley was the type of person to beat Florian and then continue to beat him if the kid cried about it. Thank you, Daddy. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm fucked up at 28. <laughs> <laughs> um carlo also writes quote richard became so utterly terrified of his father that he wet his pants just at the sight of him or the sound of his voice which caused stanley to become angry at richard for wetting himself end quote i don't think that stanley realized that he was inevitably beating the humanity in all elements that make us human out of his son uh again not a serial killer apologist but this shit does matter. And it doesn't help. Yeah. Um, additionally, Stanley would often come home with the smell of other women on him, and Anna couldn't do anything about it for fear of being mercilessly beaten herself. Eventually, Stanley would begin to beat his sons for re- both real and imagined events. And again, if Anna even tried to interject, she would suffer consequences as well. Yeah, and Anna, you know, Richard's mother, she worked in a meatpacking plant, And it's awful because she also joined in on the cruelty of her husband, often beating the boys with broom handles and other household objects. And then um, Richard then ended up began exhibiting his own his own violence while he was still young, and he frequently took out his anger on neighborhood animals, mutilating small cats and dogs for fun. Yeah, we're. I'm gonna get into the details on that. It's fucked. (laughs) Yeah. it's I mean, it, that whole household, it just shows you, you know, the uh, the power struggle and the, um, oh, God, what's that? There's, like, a term for it. Dichotomy? Dynamic? Yeah, I, I don't know, I guess. I mean... Lack of power? Yeah, yeah, powerlessness, you know, and then whoever had more power over another, they took it out, 
and then it just went down the chain. Right. It, it's a hierarchy of abuse. Yeah. <coughs> also, um, I, I kind of ask, just to, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to shed a little bit of humor throughout the episode, and maybe you will too. <laughs> I, what, what was funny about her working in a meatpacking plant? I don't know. That was, when I was looking that up, that was just, I don't know, that just sounded funny to me. Sorry. <laughs> like I may have been a little it, it drunk. It goes without saying that, yes, she worked at a meatpacking plant, but she was also a meatpacker at home because <laughs> Stanley would force her <laughs> This is horrible. I should not be laughing. God. Okay, Shelby, you're done. <laughs> you're done. You're done. She was an all-around meatpacker. Yeah. God. All right. It's like the Kemper episode. We got it. There needs to be some comedy. Yeah, I know. God. Um, so going back to Richard, uh, he was a pretty small-statured child, and he was often the target of a local neighborhood kid gang uh, until he wasn't uh, when he decided there was no more turning the other cheek uh, about the time he reached his teen years. And, <clears throat> yeah, before getting into it, I'll call Richard's first, let's say, incident. Um, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll call it Richard's first incident. Um, did you know that from their window, uh, this is a story from Carlo's book. Apparently, uh, Stanley saw Richard getting bullied and beaten one day. And when Richard got back home, his father went on to beat him because Richard didn't fight back. So not only did he get his ass beat by the bully, but then his dad beat him for not fighting back. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and this happened while Richard was still fairly young. I'm going to guess somewhere between the ages of like seven and ten. Uh, and apparently his father told him to go back out and fight the boys. And Richard did. He beat them pretty badly until the boy's father uh, ended up stepping in. And then, out of fucking nowhere, Stanley jumped out of the window from their second story apartment. Landing square on his feet. Fucking Pollocks, dude. Well, I would say drunk. <laughs> oh, that's, More yeah. than that, that's probably why he was able to do that without getting like, hurt. Fuck, dude. And, yeah. And it goes without saying he walked up to the other kid's dad and just knocked him out cold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you sure they were bullish and not Irish? This kind of sounds like some angry Irish people shit. <laughs> I mean, no, oh, dude, Pollock, you're Polish. I, I've got some Polish in me, and, like, Pollocks get mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Um, so you also made mention of uh, taking his anger out on some neighborhood animals. Again, I'd like to stress, listener discretion is advised. Um, so those instances are something out of a purely sadistic fucking horror story as well. There's mention of one time when Richard tied the tails of two cats together and strung them up on a clothesline while, quote, gleefully watching them tear one another apart, end quote. Uh, he would also throw cats down incinerators and listen to them uh, try to claw their way out after lighting it. He would set dogs ablaze and watch them run around and would even resort to plain old beating them to death with clubs, pipes, and hammers. I might cry um also unfun fact richard killed so many stray animals that he eventually rid the entire neighborhood of them all together yeah i mean ugh. fuck looks like he got into the wrong profession he could have gotten a legitimate job in animal control okay sorry <laughs> i'll stop Sorry. No, spr sprinkle that dark humor. I cope with awful things by using bad humor. <laughs> she copes by creepily walking around in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> God. Um, with an umbrella to, pr to, pr to, pr to protect <laughs> her from Any stray burn. light. <laughs> um, I'm going to get you a bubble. Yeah. Like a one or two-sided bubble, one-sided whatever. God. You can see out. They can't see <laughs> Um, and when he was in his early teens, uh, Richard decided he had finally had enough of the boys in the housing project that had tormented him, and he went out alone one night to surprise the gang leader, a boy named Charlie Lane. Richard approached Charlie when he was by himself and beat him in the head with a rod until he died. Richard hadn't actually meant to kill Charlie. He just uh, wanted to teach him a lesson, but a little too late, the damage was done. And as if the killing itself wasn't bad enough, Richard mutilated the body by removing Charlie's fingertips 
and his teeth in the hopes that his body couldn't be identified. He ended the night by driving several hours away to dump Charlie's body over a bridge. And on his drive home, he threw the parts of Charlie he had removed from his body out of the car uh, ugh, so that animals could eat them and destroy the evidence. Yeah, dude, animals love a good finger flambe in the afternoon. Uh, but we're talking about a young teen here. I know. I know. Do, you, do you know where he got, like, all of this uh, murder intelligence? No. He read true crime magazines. He literally just read them to oh, no end. Oh, right. Yeah. I remember and that. Th- yeah, with, like, the information in those, he inevitably learned how to dispose of a body. I just, well, I mean, I guess he was already killing animals, so it was just, like, the natural next step to go after people. But, I mean, it would have been bad enough if he had just beat the kid to death and that had been the end of it. You know, I could see his rage coming out and just killing some other kid that way. But then the rest of it, removing his fingertips and his teeth and... Yeah, yeah, he was, like, 12, 13, 14. Yeah. Fuck. Um, You know, and... After Charlie's death, he also went after the remaining gang leaders, and he beat them severely as well. And I'm, but I'm not sure if that happened the same, like the day after Charlie's death or at a later date. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely at a later date, because I guess the boys would see Richard, um, but without Charlie leading them and egging Richard on, they just left him alone. But Richard didn't leave them alone. Uh, killing Charlie gave him a sense of power. And he felt invincible, thinking to himself, quote, fuck with me and I'll kill you. And before moving on, um, let's catch everyone up on the timeline real quick, uh, leading up to Richard killing Charlie. So prior to that incident, Stanley had gone on to take up with a Polish woman and was around the house uh, less and less. But that wasn't before Anna gave birth to two more children. Uh, Those were Roberta and Joseph. And with Stanley gone, uh, having effectively abandoned the family, the household was a little bit calmer, although not really. Uh, Anna, being brought up in the Sacred Heart Orphanage, had a mean streak beaten into her. And I'm sure it was no help that Stanley was an abusive abusive rapist fucking tyrant of a human being. Uh, Richard would eventually go uh, to a Catholic school at the behest of his mother and eventually became an altar boy at the incessant requests of, uh, of her as well. Obviously, Richard hated it, not just because of the hypocritical teachings, but because the nuns and the priests were relentless in their punishments. Uh, there was mention that Richard was incredibly dyslexic, and when he, went, uh, when he was using his fingers to try and keep his spot in a book, Uh, One of the nuns would smack his hand with a metal ruler. And there's even one instance where he told a nun after being hit, you hit me again, you cunt, and I'll break your fucking head, bitch. Kid's got some balls. He kind of deserved it. I have heard enough horror stories of people who grew up with um, Catholic nuns as their teachers, like back in the 40s and 50s. Nightmare. I just... I, like I, I know, like I'm mildly admiring him for standing up, because like I went to a Catholic school, but I didn't get the whole. You know, I'm well, candid. they weren't allowed to touch you by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they still had that yardstick though. Yeah. <laughs> they just sure. didn't use it. Um, so after saying that to one of the nuns, Richard obviously got his ass handed to him by one of the priests. Uh, after the nun, utterly appalled at Richard's outburst, ran out of the room crying. Um, the priest ended up dragging Richard. Oh, by you the can ears. give it, but you can't take it, bitch. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, the the priest dragged Richard by the ears out of the classroom and beat him with a Bible. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. God. <laughs> um, so after that was when Richard turned his rage to animals, which uh, I we covered, and I'm not repeating for obvious reasons. And then finally, Richard took to larceny and became quite the adept thief. His mother obviously punished him for this, but Richard refused to stop, effectively becoming the breadwinner by stealing items that the family could never afford themselves, specifically bundles of frozen meats. And Anna eventually came around and accepted the pilfering and stopped punishing the boy. 
Um, and getting back on track, uh, having learned that it was better to give than receive, Richard evolved from a shy, fear-filled, cowering boy to an incredibly dangerous man over the course of just a few days. He realized that he had very little use for... <clears throat> excuse me. He realized that he had very little use for school, eventually dropping out altogether, and would quickly take up playing pool. Um, and apparently he quite enjoyed pool for its neat precision rules, timing, and strategy. Richard practiced for hours on end, and finally learned that he could make decent money playing this game. It was quite simple as well, because challengers mistook Richard's young complexion as a sign of inexperience. Obviously, nobody likes to be hustled, and there were a few instances where people would attempt to renege on their bets, and without a shred of hesitation, Richard was quick to smack with a pool stick anyone that argued. Uh, Might truly was right in his eyes, and if he struck first, and with enough force, <coughs> that was it. Nobody wanted to fight back after that. And, yeah, reputation... Jesus. A reputation like this was quickly spread... Uh, all over Jersey City and Hoboken, inciting violence uh, from other rough and tough guys on the streets. And Richard would regularly have run-ins with people, often grouped with their friends, uh, but would never back down from a fight. Fearless, albeit reckless, Kuklinski would finally meet his match when two brothers, along with one of their friends, got the best of him. But lo and behold, Richard was fucking furious and about to get... Uh, I'm sorry, was fucking furious about getting his ass kicked and was about to go kick some ass. Um, he later waited for the three to leave a bar. He followed them, learned where they lived, and went back a few days later to lie in wait in the shadows. When an opportune moment arose, he stabbed one of the brothers from behind, went after the friend who ran up the steps of the house, stabbing the friend in the stomach, and then went for the other brother who had already gotten the fuck out of Jersey City. He swiftly gained a reputation as a genuinely dangerous man who would, quote, cut a throat as readily as spit on a soiled sidewalk. <sighs> man, the ball's on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but because Richard was a natural-born leader, I'm sorry, a natural leader, not natural-born leader, because he was shy as fuck, um, other toughs would quickly gravitate toward him, and Richard would even go on to having his own little gang and uh they were known as the coming up roses there were a total of five members uh three polish uh individuals including kuklinski an irish kid and an italian kid and can you guess what they had in common they were all children of two-fisted heavy drinking blue-collar families who had dropped out of high school and were reckless antisocial troublemakers yay insert <laughs> cheer track <laughs> So they each got the gang's moniker tattooed on their left hand, and for them, the phrase, quote, coming up roses, simply meant that there were bright things in their futures, but if anyone dared to cross them, they'd end up being fertilizer. And like with any gang, they swore their loyalty to one another and were quick to, quick to start planning robberies. I believe that this is when Richard got his first gun, an old thirty-eight revolver with a long barrel that he'd picked up from someone he played pool with. Um, I'm not exactly sure, though. And as we come up to another quote-unquote incident, is it fair to say that this early, uh, say this early on that old Richard has a murderous streak in him or that he's just a fucking monster of a man? Well, he's already killed somebody, so. Yeah, that's true. Um, and let's not forget about the uh, atrocities committed against the stray animals from his childhood. I I'm pretty <sighs> yeah. sure it's fair to say that he was a murderer in the making. Um, and going back to one of the pool halls that Richard frequented, we end up meeting his second murder victim, an Irish cop named Doyle, who he was playing a bedded pool of uh, a bedded game of pool against. Doyle himself was quite the drinker, and like some people do, got fairly rambunctious and boisterous as more liquor went down his throat. Game after game. Kuklinski was wiping the floor with this guy, causing him to become quite irate, eventually calling Kuklinski a cheater and a dumb Polak, which promptly triggered Kuklinski to view Doyle in a manner that would prove deadly for the man. He began viewing Doyle as his father. Oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> However, and I'm sure that's no easy task. Yeah. 
However, Richard knew that he couldn't just beat Doyle down right then and there, and he certainly couldn't kill the guy. Doyle was a Jersey City cop. So Richard had to subdue his murderous hairpin trigger temper for the time being. Uh, he placed the pool stick down with rage-filled calmness, left the bar, and waited for Doyle to leave. Doyle eventually left the bar, got in his car, drove a short way down the block, lit up a smoke, and sat there until falling asleep. Uh, Richard realized he had passed out, and while he had his knife on him, he knew that he couldn't just walk up and stab the guy because then he'd have to kill him and that would be highly suspicious. Instead, Richard went to a nearby gas station, got a container of gas, and quickly made his way back to Doyle's car where the driver's window was wide open. Without skipping a beat, Richard poured the gas into the car, lit a match, and threw it into the car, causing a fireball to explode burning Doyle alive inside. Richard stayed nearby, actually smiling at the sight of Doyle burning and enjoying the wails from the man being consumed by flames. Though he and the coming up roses were thick as thieves, as they say, Richard would never speak a word of that incident to anyone, including the gang. Um, yeah. Do you know what burning flesh smells like? Yeah, it's horrible. I've it, had yeah, it done on both my eyes. It's not fun. It's... <sighs> so, I'm uh, not exactly sure when that had all gone down, you know, the incident with Doyle, but I know that his run-in with Charlie uh, was when Richard was around, like, 13 or 14, and since the National Minimum Drinking Age Act wouldn't come to pass until 1986... I can only infer that he was still a teenager, because uh, around the time that Richard was 16, he started shacking up with 25-year-old uh, a 25-year-old named Linda, who had approached him at a bar. Um, apparently, Richard was quite the looker, too. He looked like a young uh, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I, I did see some photos of him from when he was younger. Um, I mean, he, he definitely was handsome, those... Uh Looks certainly didn't follow him as he aged, though. Yeah, he just got, like, a big, fat, round head with Dumbo ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at pictures of him from the time, you know, like, he was... Oh, see, now I'm going to get... Well, we already know. By the time he was <laughs> imprisoned to when he was younger, definitely did not look like the same person at all. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, g given the bit of information that I was, um, I'm going to guess... The, the Doyle incident happened around the time Richard was like 16 or 17 um, since, you know, he was hanging out in bars and he like he was still shy. So he didn't approach women. But again, he was handsome. So they approached him. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, so. Um, so, yeah, to, to go in a little on his appearance, uh, he like do was a little cutie pie. He had light. Uh, light blonde hair, honey-colored eyes, wide Slavic cheekbones, and heart-shaped heart lips. But, like Charlie said, you know, these looks would not follow him. Um, and also, by this time, Richard had grown increasingly disconnected from his family, uh, having a, an intense disdain for the lot of them. Uh, but then something fairly interesting happened. Apparently, Stanley had returned to Anna one, like, one day, one night, whatever, uh, yelling at her and slapping her. And when Richard ended up hearing of the event, he hunted Stanley down, put a thirty-eight to his head, cocked the hammer, and angrily exclaimed that if Stanley ever went around his family again, Richard wouldn't hesitate to kill him and dump his body in the river. Lo and behold, Stanley was never heard from again by the family, and Richard actually went on to regret not killing his father right then and there. Um, but in other news, the coming up Rose's cronies were becoming quite the well-known little entourage, committing more and more crimes as they went along until they were noticed. Yeah, the De Calvacantes, one of the Italian mafia families in the area, they actually took notice of the boys and their bold crime sprees. Um, a man by the name of Carmine Genovese heard of the crew many times over the years, and he eventually came to appreciate their violence and their stand-up ways. And what is stand-up about them exactly? <laughs> I, th I think it's just colloquial for, like, confrontational. 
like, hey, did you see how, did you see me stand up to that guy? Yeah. Okay. Like that, that's the only thing I can figure. Um, so, and real quick, I just want to say that Carmine, um, from all accounts, like descriptions of him, <laughs> he was quite the round man in appearance and so round, in fact, that his nickname was Meatball, <laughs> an Italian mafia man named Meatball. Uh... I'm sorry. <laughs> that's cracking me up. <laughs> and uh, actually, one thing... Um... God, sorry, I'm I'm stuck on Meatball's fat little fucking sausage fingers. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a whole Italian dinner in one. Yeah, and uh, Meatball, or Carmine, uh, actually an, extended an invitation to the Coming Up Roses after hearing that they were eager to earn money. And Yeah, actually, like really quick, I'm, I'm surprised the mafia families didn't try to have them killed. Because they were, you know, the boys were like stepping on their toes. Not really. By committing, like, all these crimes in, quote, their territory. I mean, as long as they weren't screwing with anything that was going to cost them money, I don't think they would care. Yeah, that's true. Um, And Carmine offered the boys a job of killing a guy in Lincoln Park. And uh, as he told them, quote, he's got his head up his ass, he's got to go, end quote. Yeah, you, you got to take care of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Carmine even added that if they ran into any problems, they were to call him because they own the cops. Uh, the boys all knew that the mob had an immense stranglehold on New Jersey commerce with their uh, fingers in the unions, the piers, uh, vice crimes, hijackings, robberies, murder, you know, among many other criminal activities. And after the boys agreed to take the job, Carmine invited the gang to stay and enjoy lunch with him, and they happily obliged. Following lunch, the boys regrouped to discuss the job, and all but Richard were somewhat nervous. You Uh, don't say. Yeah. One of the boys, John Wheeler, had decided that he would be the one to do the deed, and the boys piled into John's car and drove over to Lincoln Park. And as they sat outside the residence of the man they were to kill... They were discussing exactly what to do, when all of a sudden, as if the entire thing was perfectly orchestrated, out strolled the mark from his home. Richard signaled for John John to go, but John froze, and the mark ended up getting into his car and driving off. Um, Richard was mildly annoyed that John froze, so Richard started following the car, pumping John up to do the act as they pulled up to the mark at a light. John... And, you know, with his nerves, he missed the opportunity yet again. The light turned green, and the mark drove off, having no clue that his life could have ended twice at that point. Uh, Richard uh, then decided to do the deed himself, took the gun from John, and followed the mark to a bar in Hoboken. They sat and wait until the guy came out of the bar, finally leaving after nightfall and in downpouring rain, The mark drunkenly wobbled to his car, so without a word or a wince of hesitation, Richard got out of the car, walked toward the mark with murderous intent, put the gun up to his head, and pulled the trigger, killing the mark instantly. One shot to the left of the head, and their whole job had been completed. The coming up Roses boys were amazed at how calm and stoic Richard was pre- and post-shooting. They went back to Carmine's house the next day, and Carmine remarked, quote, I told you not to come back till you did the thing, end quote. And Richard's response was simply a subtle smile. So I do, <clears throat> I, I am a little bit, I don't want to say upset, but I wish we could get names so that it's like to you know more humanize these people so it's not just faceless, nameless figures. Yeah, I was thinking that too. But unfortunately... Um, there aren't, there weren't many names that I could find um, throughout, like general research. But <clears throat> the gang would end up working for Carmine for quite some time. Uh, they would rob trucks with various freights, um, and I, I think that was actually mostly it. Um, they just they hit trucks that they knew like the schedules of and what the freight was, just stuff that they could turn into quick cash. Mm-hmm. Apparently, one of those items was jeans. Apparently, jeans were like a real hot commodity back then. Interesting. Um, and they, they would continue doing this until 
their uh, like their largest score, they hit an armored truck company where they made off with just over just under two million dollars in cash and gold bullion. Um, but like anybody living a rock star lifestyle, the crew was burning through money just as quickly as they were making it. And Richard actually had a penchant for gambling. Uh, he loved playing Baccarat in Vegas. And he even took uh, 25-year-old Linda there a few times. Uh, in Carlo's book, Richard was also quoted saying, quote, I had no idea what money was, and I spent it like water. I should have been investing it, buying property, but I threw it all away. I was a dumb kid. I didn't know any better. But boy, did I have a ball, end quote. So their successful hits made them more boisterous and confident in themselves. They were beginning to feel invincible. Uh, and that's when things would take a turn south because two of the Coming Up Roses boys, uh, funny enough, John Wheeler and the other Jack Dabrowski, uh, had the bright idea to stick up a card game that was sponsored by the DeCalvacante family uh, without consulting Richard first. <sighs> Big mistake, boys. So... Word quickly rose through the ranks, and the family knew that it was two of Richard's men who hit the game. Uh, apparently, one of the family's soldiers, Albert Parenti, was tasked with sitting down and discussing the incident with Richard. Oh, by the way, the way that they got caught, like, they covered their faces, but some of the people still recognized John. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Parenti goes to discuss the incident with Richard, and the only reason they didn't decide to just off Richard and the other men was because Richard was, at this point, held in high regard and was somewhat respected. Uh, Parenti did point out that Richard had nothing to do with the hit as well, hence his calm demeanor, uh, but Parenti demanded restitution on behalf of the family. And though Richard tried to convince him uh, of another course of action, uh, Parenti's mind was already made up. The boys had to go, and Richard had to be the one to do it because they were his responsibility. Parenti is quoted saying, It's not the money I'm talking about here. It's the principle. And Richard was angry, but there was nothing he could do. Um, funny enough, in his own strange way, they were his, like, the coming up roses were his family, his only friends, and in some odd way, he kind of loved him to some extent. But, nonetheless, Richard left the bar where he'd spoken with Parenti, found Jack, and before Jack even knew what was going on, Richard shot him in the head. He then found John leaving his girlfriend's apartment and shot him on the spot, leaving the body there on the street as evidence for the family. Uh, the De Cavalcantes. Uh, both men murdered without pain and before they knew what hit them. The family respected this and knew that they had an invaluable asset in their midst, a made-to-order killing machine who kept his mouth shut no matter what. The murders of John and Jack went unsolved as there was nothing tying Richard to the act, and they became another couple of forgotten hoods in the footnotes of history. And with that, the coming up roses were essentially no more. I was reading how there was also another reason that Richard kept his distance from the Roses. Um, after the deaths of John and Jack, the other members began using heavy drugs, uh, notably heroin. Oh, fun. Yeah, Richard actually despised drugs and the people who used them because he viewed them as weak. I just found that interesting. Um, yeah, I, like I, I definitely... Um, can see that because there's constant remarks on how much uh, Richard hated drugs because they're a waste of time and nothing good ever comes from doing them. Richard also had the self-awareness to realize that hard liquor made him extra mean and he told himself that he should drink more beer and less whiskey. You don't say. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that he even cared. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll also come to see how well this actually worked out, except not. <laughs> yeah. he'd, al he'd already turned into his father. Like, there was... There was he, he passed the point of no return, but maybe he was like a fraction of a percent, quote unquote, better than Stanley. Um, I don't think there's a comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? He's not better than Stanley because Stanley didn't go murder tons of people. Right. Um, and now moving forward, we find Richard in the spring of 1954, and by this time he is a spry 19-year-old who conducted himself in a manner as if he were well-aged beyond his years. Though he wasn't one for typical exercise, he loved to just walk around. He's quoted as saying, the only exercise I ever got 
was carrying dead bodies. End quote. Jesus. Yeah. A quick side note. I'm going to start saying that when people yell at me to exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Careful. I I, I will exercise, but it's going to be your dead body going from wherever I kill you to the trunk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Though Richard had been to New York several times with his former gang, he'd never gone alone, so he took a ferry to Manhattan, um, and as he said, marveling at the multicolored rich skyline. He soon found himself in a dark, desolate place where a bum began trailing him repeatedly asking for money. Finally, the dumb, or the bum, wow. (laughs) (laughs) The Freudian slip right there? Yeah. (laughs) Finally, the bum exclaimed, quote, you deaf motherfucker. End you deaf quote. motherfucker? Yeah. Um, this set off uh, Richard's hairpin trigger, and with one swift motion, Kuklinski spun around and plunged his knife into the bum's chest as he yelled, Get the fuck away from me! Standing there, watching the bum's lights go out, Richard recounts, quote, I enjoy seeing lights go out. Jesus. I enjoy killing up close and personal. I always wanted the last image they had to be my face. End quote. Definitely control issues that can easily be rooted back to his childhood abuse. Yeah. Uh, he also grew to enjoy having a feeling of control over who lived or died. Bam, there it was. Sorry, I jumped the gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, knowing the murder would never be tied to him because New York police wouldn't communicate with the Jersey police. Richard made his way back uptown, and but he would repeatedly come back to Manhattan over the following months, killing people almost indiscriminately. Uh, Kuklinski was well aware that the people he killed were not people that would be greatly missed. He was offing men who were criminals or homeless or the occasional gay man that he found to be too pushy. Uh, he wasn't going after anyone that the public or the police really cared about. Uh, one thing that could be considered somewhat morally positive about Kuklinski, if there really is such a thing, is that he was staunchly against murdering women or children. But anyone else was fair game, as far as he was concerned. Good job, man. Yeah. (laughs) You got one standard. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Getting back to his travels to and from Manhattan, Richard turned the West Side into a murder lab of sorts and went on to learn the most effective and least messy ways of killing people with a knife. Uh, In the back of the head, and up into the brain, an inverted slice across the throat, at the same time cutting the carotid arteries and windpipe. Uh, He was perfecting his methodologies for murder, and there was one event in particular where he hung a man by looping a piece of hemp across the man's neck and lifted him off the ground and over his own shoulder, explaining, I became the tree. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, it's worth mentioning. He he grew up to be pretty big at this point. Yeah, he was a large man. Uh, he was also fond of using an ice pick to kill, as it was an easy weapon to store that was rather inocula- uh, innocuous and could be easily thrust into someone's ear or eye. Fucking metal, bro. <laughs> I'm surprised, like, that's not what earned him the name The Iceman. Yeah, I was surprised by that, too, when I read that. <laughs> Okay, this whole part of his life, though, was just interesting to me because I get when he was, you know, I don't know if they only killed the one person uh, for Carmine or if there were multiple people. But then, you know, after the coming up roses were gone, he just decided to start going to Manhattan to randomly kill people in his spare time. Like, what was his reasoning for this? I I think the... So he he went to Manhattan because he'd been there with the coming up roses a few times, but he'd never gone on his own. He he essentially just went to like explore and see the city, and it. But just he so was out happened, there killing people at the same but time. But it it just so happened that that bum approached him, and then he killed, and then kind of like two and two. He put two and two together. He's like, oh, I can come back here and keep doing this. I don't know. I like I. I don't know. But, I mean, either way, he kept returning to Manhattan to his little quote-unquote murder lab, enjoying that he essentially had his own private killing ground. And uh, a police captain in the 10th precinct is even quoted saying, quote, let them kill each other, end quote. Fuck the police. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the police act like this now, though. 
they yeah. do this shit oh, yeah. now. They, yeah, they still do this. I know. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I, I was going to mention, too, the whole, like, New York not, com- not communicating with Jersey City and all that. Mm-hmm. Also a very big thing because, like, everybody's they're, – they're just having a dick-swinging contest. Like, oh, we got this caught. Like, we get the credit. Mm-hmm. Just catch the fucking people. I know. Christ. Um, but anyways, the, the 10th Precinct captain said this because, A, they thought all the dead bodies that were turning up were simply from con- uh, conflicts that the police would never solve or resolve, and B, Richard was murdering, quote, throwaway people. Ugh. What? Um, but I, I don't know. I guess it's a good thing that Richard wasn't murdering every time he went to New York. But when he was asked how many uh, people he had killed during these excursions, Richard unemotionally replied, quote, all the fingers on both your hands five times. That's what kills me anytime I watch his interviews. He is so calm and collected and genuinely does not give a fuck. Like, it's scary. Well, that, that just goes back to the, the comment I made earlier. Like, Stanley beat the humanity out of this, out of this man. Yeah. Like, all, all, I, there's a very good chance he had brain damage of some sort. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, maybe. I, he was severely dyslexic. That it's possible that was from the fucking beatings. I mean, he killed Florian by smacking him one too many times upside the back of the head. Yeah. Who the know. fuck knows? But, yeah, I just, I don't know. Let's not forget, though, there is still a copious amount left to get through. Uh, everything up to now is all before Richard was 20 years old. Jesus. I mean, everything he did was just so normal and whatever to him. He talks about murder as though he is talking about what he ate for breakfast that morning. Just sort of, hmm and of no coincidence. I mean, we do see this at times with other killers as well. But, you know, there also tends to be little glimpses of humanity or remorse that come through when they tell the details. I don't really recall ever seeing that when Richard would talk about yeah, his Yeah, I, I watched the, like, two and a quarter hour interviews. And compared to Kemper, you know, Kemper choked up a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, Richard just sat there and, you know, we we don't have video feed, unfortunately. But he's just like, yeah, so, like... I walked up and I shot him in the head, and that was it. I got back to the car. Yeah, he was just completely, well, fuck, dude. completely detached. It's like, like I was able to do that because I didn't actually do that. Right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, I think we're we're almost kind of, sort of, maybe done. Um, so let's keep going. <laughs> um. With the coming up, Rose is disbanded and uh, Carmine Genovese uh, in jail on gambling charges. Uh, we find Richard being forced to take a menial job unloading trucks, which he absolutely fucking loathed. Uh, but it was an easy way for him to always keep an eye out for a quick score. Um, and Richard still shot pool quite often, but he eventually gained a reputation as a ruthless pool shark. And was hard-pressed to find opponents he could play uh, wagered games against. Uh, Richard li- Richard's life with Linda was starting to get pretty tense as well. Richard had gotten Linda pregnant, and she desperately wanted to keep the baby and start a family with Richard. But Richard wanted none of it and tried hard to pressure Linda into having an abortion. He, uh, you know, he even went so far as to punch her in the stomach at times to induce a miscarriage, but was unsuccessful. Yeah, I've, I have actually wondered the efficacy of that. I think it depends on the individual person. Like, the, the so, let, like, just real quick, over and over, going over anatomy. Like, here's the stomach. The baby's, like, kind of down here mm-hmm. in the fupa area. Ew. <laughs> Lower abdomen. The fupa comes after the baby is out. <laughs> uh, you should tell some people I know that. Uh, they didn't get the memo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, guys can, I mean. Oh, yeah, no, the, the guys too. I'm yeah, not, no, I'm I'm not being like, sexist. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that's not even what I was trying to say. I'm just like, never mind. This is a different type of large. <laughs> It's 2020 men can have babies now. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, you know. So yeah, he he punches her in the stomach. Yeah, and I mean, Gotta Richard get her in the fupa. Richard didn't believe in murdering women, but he definitely had no qualms about uh, being mentally and physically abusive towards them. Oh, oh, real quick, pump the brakes. Richard was against murdering women and children, but he tried to kill the baby. Liar! It's a fetus. <laughs> we're, we're not we're not granting personhood to uh, non-viable fetuses. Sorry. Okay. As long as they're not going to Virginia. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Oh, we um, keep the baby alive. We keep it comfortable. And then if the mother decides, we'll oh. get into this in another episode. Okay, Alex. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so Richard, you know, he had obviously grown up in a home where hitting women was the norm. And Richard took that behavior he grew up with into his relationship with Linda. Richard was the textbook case of an abuser. He would be awful to Linda and then turn around and be extremely kind and sweet, giving her gifts and making her feel like their relationship was a normal one until the next time he was in a bad mood. Uh, Linda eventually got her way, though, and she and Richard ended up getting married at City Hall. And although it wasn't done out of any sort of love on Richard's part, you know, Richard did agree to the marriage because he thought that it would be good for the kids' sake. And <clears throat> I'd also like to point... R- r- roll back reference to a prior episode. This sounds a lot like love bombing. From yeah. Our cult mentality episode. Yep. Look at that. Everything's coming full circle. <laughs> We're doing great. <laughs> um, oh, oh, oh. I just remembered. And it's a perfect time to mention it. Richard had like this insane little like quirk, quote unquote. Um, so murder for him had become an integral part of his everyday life. And if he thought of killing someone ever, like if the thought of killing someone ever entered his mind, he'd plan out a time and a place. And obviously he would be extremely cautious. Um, and this is where that little fucked up quirk comes into play. Cause Richard was most deadly when he was silent, you know, like t- typical bar fights or whatever. It's, you know, a loud altercation and then punches are thrown. Mm-hmm. No, not for him. Uh, for Richard, his eyes would fill with murderous intent, and then he would do this weird little fucking clicking sound from the side of his mouth. And I, like, I, I couldn't find a clip of it, but fucking clicking? Like, what kind of clicking? Was it, like, predator shit? <laughs> was it... <laughs> like, was he, was he growling? Wait, do that again. my boyfriend would be so jealous right now because that sound he's obsessed with predator that sound is his ringtone on his phone and he's always trying to make that sound with his throat and he can't do it seriously text text him right now tell him come over i'll teach him i'll also teach him how to do the chewbacca roar oh god i'm serious (laughs) let's finish this episode (laughs) That's so creepy. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I wasn't able to find the audio. Um, I don't. That was me clicking. That was me. Don't <laughs> please don't try to call me out on not having the right sound bit. Um, so moving along in the timeline, uh, it's February 1956, and Richard's hanging out in a bar uh, called Rosie's Place up in Hoboken, and he's playing pool against. Eh, we'll say a well-built truck driver. You know, real salt-of-the-earth guys. And uh, Richard keeps sinking, sinking shot after shot, winning game after game, and eventually the trucker got irritated and started making comments along the lines of, quote, hey, Pollock, you got a rabbit's foot up your ass? And, quote, hey, Pollock, how about you give me a chance to shoot? Uh, among others, there, was, there were some slights thrown um, Richard, you know, was able to keep quiet after hearing the truckers belittling comments. And although he did that, he finally stopped the game abruptly, walked up to the trucker, and without a single word, smashed the pool cue against the guy's head, smashing the pool cue to pieces. 
with a single fucking blow, he broke a pool stick into pieces. And suffice to say, the trucker obviously went down, um, and his friends ended up staying put as Richard made his way to the door saying, quote, fuck you, as he walked past. Uh, next thing he knew, though, the trucker was back upright and throwing punch after punch into, his, into Richard's face, something like a trained boxer. And uh, the trucker would end up getting the better of Kuklinski, uh, even beating him down until Richard would grab an eight ball and strike the guy against his head with all of his might, and the trucker once again went down. Yeah, and this whole encounter would not bode well for the trucker. While Kuklinski wasn't happy about getting his ass handed to him, he had decided to walk away because the fight that ensued was over nothing more than nonsense. He left the bar, acknowledging that he had to somehow control his drinking and murderous impulses, and he drove to a low train trestle between 15th and 16th Street, when suddenly a car cut him off and came to a screeching halt. Oh, no. What an idiot. Like So, right, basically... He, he took you down with a pool stick, and then again with a eight ball. Like, bro, take the L. It, it's a two to one. Too late. <laughs> the trucker had returned. <laughs> uh, rapidly approaching Richard and his car, the trucker and his friends were livid, red-faced, and carrying pipes. Richard oh, quickly shit. grabbed a snub-nose 38 that he kept under the seat of his car, and as the trucker reached the car, lifting the pipe to smack Richard... Richard just shot him in the head. He, yeah, that sounds uh, about right. Yeah, he then quickly got out of the car and shot the trucker's two friends in cold blood. He acted quickly, putting all three men in the back of the trucker's car, took that guy's car to the waterfront, which was only a few blocks away, and then went back to his own car. He then drove his car to where he left the trucker's car, moved the bodies to his trunk, and took off to Pennsylvania's Bucks County. Yeah, so real quick, I know this is a little confusing. Yeah, so that is very he, confusing. He, he took the trucker's car, put the bodies in the back seat, mm-hmm. went back to his car, pulled his car up, got back in the trucker's car, put the bodies in the trucker's trunk. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Um, so then he, yeah, so he drove his car to where he had left the trucker's car, moved the bodies to his trunk, and took off to Pennsylvania's Bucks County. Having gotten to an area that he had made a prior mental note of, Richard dragged the men's bodies one by one to a pit dumping them in and listening to them thud against the sides of the pit as they fell. He never heard them hit the bottom. His task completed, Richard made his way back to Jersey City, removed the car's plates, wiped his prints off every surface, and dumped the car into the Hudson. This was the trucker's car. Yes. Richard then got back to his own car, then in their resolve to stop getting into barroom brawls, and drove home, never to be questioned about the men's disappearance. Uh, I know. It was so easy to get away with well, yeah, crime because, back like, then. That, that's one of the things they talk about, I think they talk about in that Mindhunter series, mm-hmm. is that like precincts just did not talk to each other. Right. Because like, they were so fucking concerned with jurisdiction. It was literally just a dick-swinging contest. Like, no, we cut the killer. We get the credit. Yeah. Um, shortly- fucking men, dude. Goddamn patriarchy. <laughs> it is. It's like fucking testosterone. Hey, we're competitive. Yeah. We can't help it. Yeah, that's a word for it. Um, so after the... Head <laughs> <laughs> <I'll> tilt. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> what? You're like that meme with the long nails. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Say uh, what again? Yeah. <laughs> so shortly after the trucker's death, Carmine Genevieve, Genevieve's... Uh, had just gotten out of jail. (laughs) I keep wanting to say Genevieve. Genevieve uh, had gotten out of jail, and he required Richard's skill set yet again, giving Richard a picture and an address with instructions to, quote, bring a little piece of him back. Richard accepted and set out to do recon. He found himself at a sprawling used car lot with colorful flags strung this way and that, and he quickly spotted his mark. He devised a plan to get him alone. So he parked his car a few blocks from the dealership, went out onto the lot, pretending uh, to be interested in buying a car. The Mark was more than happy to help, thinking that the sale was in the bag, given Richard's inquisitiveness and his statement of needing a car quickly because his own had been stolen. The Mark took Richard on a test drive, and that's when his fate was sealed. They drove for a minute before pulling up to Richard's parked car a few blocks away. 
asking if he could step out and check the motor. The Mark happily obliged, saying, sure, no problem, got nothing to hide here, clean as a whistle. Distracted by the thought of a surefire sale, Richard pointed down at something under the hood. The Mark took a look, and Richard struck him in the head with a jawbreaker, knocking the Mark out cold. So I actually, I did try to look it up. Um, I'm pretty sure a drawbreaker is just the term for brass knuckles back then. Okay. Because, like, I, but again, I'm not sure. I, I did at least a half hour's worth of research into, like, jawbreaker weapon, mm-hmm. and it, it was just brass knuckles that kept coming up. Maybe, like, more crude versions. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, he, he knocked the guy out cold, and again, I wish we could get names to humanize these people, but... This is where things with the car dealer would take a an, an exceptionally cold turn because, don't forget, Carmine wanted a piece of the mark brought back. So Richard stuffed the guy in the trunk of his own car, abandoning the uh, the test drive car, and drove off to the Jersey Pine Barrens. Arriving at a predetermined location, uh, Richard would open the trunk, drag the guy to a spot uh, that had been previously scoped out, and then tied him to a tree. Um, He even shoved a rope into the guy's mouth and tied it so tightly uh, to the tree that it forced the mark's tongue uh, to, like, be pushed back against his throat. Screaming and struggling, the mark was begging to be let go, but the request would fall on deaf ears. Richard took the hatchet he had and smashed the man's knees and ankles. He went to chop off some fingers, making sure to go one by one. The man had long since pissed his pants, and Richard stepped back to appreciate the pain that he was inflicted. Jesus Christ. This guy is so this, rude. Like, <laughs> this guy is so rude. Jesus. He is so rude. <laughs> like, Fucking maniacally sadistic is a much more <laughs> accurate term. I like rude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Richard would finally decide to end it. And kill the mark. Um, I, like, I hate to say it, but finally putting him out of his misery. Um, but then he had a, a sudden idea of the perfect thing to bring back to Carmine. He buried the mark and went back to Carmine. And Carmine asked, quote, you bring me something good? Richard dropped a bag on the kitchen table. Carmine looked into it and a big smile came over his face after he would notice that it was the mark's head. Ugh. And Richard would make $10,000 for that job. <sighs> God damn it. So Richard would go on doing work for Carmine, and his reputation as a reliable independent contractor was becoming stronger. And this is where we're going to end it. There is a plethora more to get through, but I I didn't want this episode to drag on too long because it's just... It's one murder story after another. And honestly, we haven't even gotten into the really meaty parts of his story. Yeah. This um, ne- next week's episode, um, it, we're going to continue with a few of those other jobs that he did for Carmine. And then we're going to get into uh, Barbara, his uh, wife, until he would go to prison. Yes. Because that story is... Interesting, to say the least. So with that being said, thank you all for tuning in for yet another episode of Shelby and I rambling about terrible people. Insert cheer track. (laughs) Yes. We always have a good time and hope that you do as well. This episode was part one in what will end up being a several part series. We haven't fully decided just how many episodes there will be as of yet. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that... uh... As I said, um, we do our, – our effort, or at least mine, because um, like I've said, I, I have no problem writing the bulk of the information, um, is to go through – You like how people. Shelby keeps having to like interject and talk about how he does all the work? I work too. <laughs> I work hard on this too. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just – Fuck off, I'm, Shelby. Okay. I'm done. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> We're not 14. <laughs> don't. We're not in our emo it's phase. It's so kawaii. Oh my God. <laughs> that just reminds me of that fucking Avril Lavigne song. 
Which one? They're all pretty bad. The, the one, the, it's literally t- titled Kawaii. Oh, no. And she just, she just doesn't know how to say it. But anyways, we're going through these, like, all of these things with as fine a tooth comb as possible. So I'm thinking it's, it might end up as a four-part series. Definitely no less than three. Yes. So, in short, Kuklinski was a maniac, and his life is just... That's me head <laughs> Did you just do that my... on purpose? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's my my metaphorical way of banging my head against a wall. <laughs> uh, so, Kuklinski's life is just one incident after another of wild and gruesome events. We want to delve into it as much as possible, so that is why we decided to split up the episodes. We didn't think that just one episode would do Kuklinski's story justice. Oh, yeah. No, no fuck no. There is, there is no... No possible way in any universe, galaxy, or, like, parallel existence that this guy's existence can be summed up aptly in a single episode. No. It's, it's not possible. We would have to literally just say, he killed a person, and then he killed another person, <laughs> and then he killed another person, <laughs> and then he set this one guy on fire, and then he killed these three guys and dumped them in a bottomless pit. Um, and then he chopped off a guy's head, and then he killed, 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 killed. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like a murder reel. <laughs> so thank Remember, you. Just, just Manhattan alone. All fingers on both hands, five times. Just in Manhattan. And that's all that he remembered. I mean, yeah. it could have been more. Yeah. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. Have a great day. Bye. My ears. Cold motherfuckers.